Welcome to Planner Parlay, a show where we come together under a flag of truce to talk about small agency planning. This week, we're delving into a repair manual for the creativity crisis by author Orlando Wood, Chief Innovation Officer at System One from London, England. He joins John Roberts, CSO at Truth Collective in Rochester, New York, to share his revolutionary new book, Lemon, How Advertising Turns Sour, and what we can do about it. Join them as they dig into why fame, feeling, and fluency are at the heart of what brands need to be doing, why they aren't, and what it means for small agencies. Pull up a chair and listen in. Welcome to another episode of Planner Parley, where we focus on the role of strategy, particularly within small agencies, but to grow and learn from each other. And today, I must admit, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Orlando Wood, someone who I've been stalking, in a business sense, for many years. So Orlando, Chief Innovation Officer of System One Group, member of the IPA Effectiveness Board, both of which are combined into a really fascinating perspective as the new author of a book called Lemon, How Advertising Turns Sour and What We Can Do About It. Welcome Orlando. Well, thank you for having me on. Delighted to be here. Fantastic. So, how about we start with a very quick pricey for those of us that haven't had the chance to dive into the book. Talk a little bit about what is System 1 and how does that relate to the book itself and the, the, the focus for you? Yeah, well, System 1 is, um, uh, I suppose, a, a way of talking about the the way that we make decisions and um, it's been, I suppose, popularized or the idea has been brought to our attention by Daniel Kahneman and uh, his work with Daniel Tversky and uh, he talks about there being sort of two systems of thought one that's um, very fast and uh, sort of based on um, heuristics and, and, and rules of thumb really and one that is more it's a bit slower really and it's more ponderous perhaps slightly more analytical in style and that's um, and that's called system two and uh, you know, there's 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 a tendency to think about things uh, in the business world very much on a system two level, and and uh, and system one is you know uh, there are various features of system one. It's it's sort of um, uh, and it, I suppose com- various components of it. But the important thing about it is that it you learn very gradually over time with system mm. one, based on experiences and and based on you know emotional impressions. And these, uh, these, you know, sort of accumulate over time and help you to make really quick decisions in the moment. Whereas system two is, is, you know, it requires effortful thought. It's a sort of just way of describing effortful thought, I suppose. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a more sort of calculated way of thinking. And, uh, you know, many of the decisions we make are made on this system one basis, this fast and frugal way of thinking. And that's you know that's why the company I work for System One is, is called System One um, because you know we we have a, an interest in measuring emotional response to advertising uh, and to you know linking that to to in market effectiveness and that's uh, because we think that's that's the best way to look at long term outcomes you know the the, the results of advertising over a longer time period because system one is inherently sort of long term in the way that it works so that's opening up a whole heap of questions already and we're going to come back to the timing perspective but i think it's fascinating just from that very premise that as within creative companies as strategists we're always trying to find the balance between how can we create some immediate impact and and a more creative effect but at the same time how do we balance that with that business effect how did this then connect with lemon, and what is the premise of lemon? Yeah, so 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 I mean there are features of uh, system system one. I mean that really that it's important to know about from a from a from a brand perspective, from an advertiser perspective. Uh, Daniel Kahneman talks about a number of important shortcuts or heuristics, rules of thumb, if you like, mm-hmm. and. Um, three that we think are particularly important when it comes to advertising and what it can do for brands are what we call fame feeling and fluency so fame is you know how quickly uh, your brand might come to mind in, in you know when when making a, a choice between options uh, feeling is simply you know how do i feel some sort of 
positive affect for this thing or this brand and fluency is you know how quickly does it uh, come to mind how, how easy is it to recognize how distinctive is it and really these three uh, heuristics I think are at the, at the heart of what um, brands need to be doing but clearly we're not if advertising is turned sour but well but I, I suspect not you know I mean there are there are lots of there are, there are you know f certainly if you look at how advertising uh, is connecting with the general public it, you know the work that we've done because we measure every ad that airs in uh, the UK and the and the US across various uh, sectors on TV, and we know that you know uh, most ads sort of cluster at the the bottom of a sort of emotional response range. Very few you know get up into the upper reaches. The the sorts of the sorts of emotional response that we've shown you know drive bigger business effects. Um, so yes, that's the that's the first problem, and I think also you know there's there's a lot of debate about uh, differentiation or distinctiveness uh, in you know in marketing, um, and uh, whilst we debate it on the sidelines, this sort of conceptual discussion, I think advertising has become less and less unique, uh, less and less um, you know I suppose distinctive or different, and you know there's a lot of homogeneity uh, around, I'm afraid. So. This is the sort of framework that that you know I suppose we at System One think about to to, to how brands work and how advertising the, the important principles for advertising. Fantastic. So, if we're trying to drive on really finding an emotional connective thread as a driver, because we know that can connect to business impact and to be distinctive, how do we do that? Well, th that's really I suppose where Lemon uh, comes in. Lemon is, is the book I've written, published by the IPA last year, that looks at changing advertising styles and how advertising today is well less likely to generate an emotional response and, and, uh, and because it has different features from the advertising of even just 15, 20 years ago. And what I show in Lemon is that uh, actually the, the, the crisis in creative effectiveness that Peter Field describes in his work, you know, looking at uh, award-winning ads and looking at the effectiveness of advertising over the last 15, 20 years, is that that, that that drop in effectiveness can be explained to a large extent by a change in advertising style. That the same uh, way of I suppose the mode of attending to the world that is responsible for short-termism is also responsible for a shift in style that no longer connects with people. And that's what Lemon's about and how we might put it right. And I take in Lemon um, as my starting point to describe this and how this has happened the work of a, a brilliant scientist um, called Ian McGilchrist. And Ian McGilchrist uh, is a a neuroscientist, he's a psychiatrist, he's um, perhaps the, one of the world's experts on, perhaps the world expert on brain lateralization, the left and the right hemispheres. And so, uh, you know, your listeners might be thinking, well, you know, hasn't that all been debunked, the whole left brain, right brain thing? Well, it has been debunked in the sense that um, the left and the right brain don't do different things. They're both involved in, in important ways in all types of cognitive function but um, it's just that they do things differently they have different takes on the world they have different modes of attention and they're structurally quite different too and I talk about this a bit in the book but the what Ian McGilchrist shows and, and quite compellingly in his book The Master and His Emissary is that the left brain is very narrow and goal orientated in its attention and focuses on, on, on the smaller picture, on you know, narrowness of, of things, mm -hmm. and is pretty linear in its thinking, in its direct cause and effect type thinking, quite binary um, in its thinking. Things are either true or false, um, you know, factual or, or incorrect. No room for nuance or ambiguity. You know, it has very little uh, understanding of uh, people. It's interested in things, in representing the world back to us, in models, in symbols, um, 
and you know it's sort of a bit detached from the real world for for, for our connection with the real world we really need the right brain mm-hmm. and the right brain is is interested in the world around it it's alert it's vigilant um, it's what gives us you know sustained attention and it's very different in it in what what interests it really in that it's interested in the living in the, everything in context so understanding uh, things as a whole and it's very interested in uh, you know the the way that the way that the living interacts you know the, so fe- facial features accents gestures all of those things uh, it's also able to sort of hold two contradictory thoughts in its mind at the same time. It's not as fixed as the left brain, um, which means it c- it's open to novelty, it's open to contradiction, it's um, open to because it can understand you know things mm-hmm. on two levels. It, it understands metaphor, it understands humour, and uh, it's also what gives us our sense of lived time and of and of uh, space and spatial depth. Um, and it's what helps us to understand music, which relies on both a sense of time, but also um, being able to hear the whole, not just the individual parts. And so that 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 right brain connection with the real world, what what McGilchrist shows through uh, his work and his his book, is that at certain times in history, we've we've sort of lost this this ability to connect with the real world you know and you get this kind of shift towards left brain dominance and there's a very good uh, you know there are very good reasons for this physiologically the 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 corpus callosum which which connects the two halves of the brain um, you know it, it it bridges the two brains but actually the, the left brain has a, a greater inhibitory effect on the right than the right does on the left and it's and it's through the corpus callosum that this inhibition takes place so so you get this sort of um, at certain times in history and I, I talk about them in the book the reformation is one of them the late roman period another uh, actually the a hundred years ago the the um the, the the rise of modernism um you get you get this sort of very left brain literal way of thinking about things you get fixity people adopt uh, abs- you know very dogmatic positions um anger lateralizes to the left brain so people get you know uh, very angry entrenched in their world views and um you know uh, opposition starts to occur people butt up against each other so apt for today's the world that we're living in right? exactly i mean we can yeah you can, you can see that happening all around us uh, in fact and I, and I think i believe that in art of any given period um that you can detect you know a few years in advance you know what um uh, that that something is not quite right in society that you can see these sorts of shifts and in the book i talk about you know these um these different periods certainly in the reformation things got very flat and there was an emphasis on the word in paintings there was a a desire for authenticity for the stripping back of you know metaphor of of characters in the saints of the sights and sounds of the church you know anything which actually gave it a sort of its sense of spirituality and uh, instead there was this focus on on the word which is also one of the things about the left brain is that it, it it's responsible for it thinks it's interested in tools you know and things with which to manipulate the world and a uh, principle of these is language language signs and symbols so i love the way when sorry t- just on that flow you're talking through about uh, looking at society and through art over time and then the way that from when you think about the the ways you've described it from a neurological perspective about how our brains work that then leads really quickly into the problem we face with advertising today, right? It, it does. It does because um, what I do in Lemon is I show how, not just in advertising, by the way, but in, in culture more broadly, in films and music and um, comedy output, how there's been a real shift in the last 15 years, you know, towards this this sort of left brain dominance. And that in advertising terms, you know, this means when you look at advertising films, ads, videos, um, that that whereas, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you you had ads that that showed people in the real world or reacting to each other, you know, in lived time, um, 
characters, you know, and perhaps something happening that's interesting in an easily defined place, you know. Today, advertising uh, doesn't tend to do that, and instead it is a series of short, short sharp cuts, all, you know, edited very quickly together, that there is a sense of abstraction. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, you, you, it's a bit like futurism. You know, you just see uh, you see a focus on tools or things, quite mechanistic, fewer people, and if they are there, they're used as props. And focus on the word. Uh, so just like in the Reformation, you know, the word is everywhere, and it's as if the imagery is only really there to serve what the words are telling you to think and do. And then also, you know, you've uh, got this, it's become increasingly rhythmic, uh, which is the only thing of, of music that the left brain can really appreciate, is this, this highly rhythmic sense. So you've got all sorts of features, uh, and I can, I, there are many more, but, you know, those are the main yep. ones that, that, um, that you see in advertising today. And I show through a historical analysis that this started to happen in 2006, before the downturn. That, I mean, there are many reasons for it. Perhaps we go into it, but that this 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 has happened in the last fourteen, fifteen years, and in exactly the same time frame, but completely different data sets. That Peter Field has shown this decline in effectiveness. And the other thing that I show in Lemon is that I show that these left-brain features, this mechan mechanistic kind of advertising is much less likely to drive an emotional response in people and that these right brain features, this depth and humanity, um, this referencing of other things, you know, parody and pastiche and metaphor, all those sorts of things, characters in, in particular, that those are the sorts of things that generate an emotional response. So advertising is becoming less emotional, basically, less, less likely to be noticed, less likely to be remembered emotion helps to orientate our attention after all so that uh, is a real problem and uh, you know so the book tries to unpack why that might be and then also gives some uh, pointers really um, as to how to how to address it how to how to make work that that we will know will known when we see it and, and we'll remember it it's interesting you know I was thinking when I was going through the book and looking at those pointers which are very, very clear because that connective thread back to everything you were talking about earlier. But also the reminder to me that when we talk about emotional work, we don't just mean stirring heartstrings. There's a huge breadth and gamut of emotions that we're not using well today, right? Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I mean, when, when you say emotional advertising, people immediately jump to a kind of sentimentality, you know, a sort of um, schmaltzy... Uh, that, that's what what comes to people's minds, and and that's that's a very narrow description of you know, for, for for emotion really. I mean, w what I mean is advertising essentially that on some level entertains and interests people, uh, and uh, you know humour is one important part of that metaphor. Uh, being able to do things that work on several levels, you know, comedy of character um, and situation. Those things uh, are very powerful and important, and they, you know, the, also the sort of how people deal with the unexpected as well. And in recent work, I've I've just done actually, I've looked at the the features of advertising that both hold attention, and this is not just on TV but online as well, uh, and and elicit an emotional response. And there are you know a, a number of things that you know it's it seems to me quite clear that that we need to be doing if we're trying to hold attention and elicit an emotional response and and the three things that their character incident and place and this is true of all storytelling obviously we're talking about tv and digital well yeah i mean exactly there's a lot of there's a lot of talk in the industry about storytelling but no one's really tried to explain what what, what that means i suppose and i think it you know it's it's quite a a, a, a highfalutin term and I think you know I was just trying to explain what what that means in practice and when you look at the the campaigns on the IPA's effectiveness database as I as I have and and look at the features you know the the, the right brain features and the left brain features of these ads and then you start to 
uh, overlay them on top of the effectiveness data, you see quite clearly that it's the campaigns that have character incident and place, you know, character in that there are, there are people uh, involved doing things in lived time, you know, um, with a sense of agency incident in that there's something happening in lived time, something unusual or incongruent, you know, happens and and that there is a definable place you know that this isn't this is you, you could imagine this happening somewhere it's something approaching the real world you know the ads that perform particularly well on market share gain sales gain those are the that, that's the sort of advertising that that does it and that's the sort of advertising that holds attention elicits an emotional response so without trying to dumb down an inordinate amount of work but i will <laughs> if we if i if we were to talk as an agency with our creatives and with our clients, and I want to come back to both of those in a minute, about whatever the the strategy is to solve the problem, we want to do it by demonstrating character, incident, and place. Yep. We will be more successful. I think so, yes. Okay. And, um, you know, and the problem is that advertising over the last 15 years can't really be described in many ways in i mean not all advertising obviously but but a lot of advertising today can't really be described by answering those these three questions you know who's involved what happens where is it set because uh the global nature of many businesses today has led of course to the global ad which has to work everywhere uh, which means that you can't really show people talking or interacting with each other. You can't show connection with place, and you know it's quite it's quite difficult to to convey things happening. You also have lots of platforms available to us for for our you know our, our video advertising, and that they sometimes mean that we have to create work that is easy to edit and chop down and smaller bits and. You know, so you you end up with something that it doesn't play out in live time, that um, uh, that looks very different, really. You know, the pipe work becomes more important than the work, and so we. Sorry, Orlando, just I, I want to add on that because you and I were talking about this actually the, the other day. Yeah. And I love um, this will lead into the the role of that character incident in place in in a digital world. Are we now becoming we're inhibiting the impact of the work because of the nature of the format that we're in? Oh, a six-second ad and immediacy. I think that's had a lot to do with it. Yes, and also we're measuring the effectiveness of these of, of, of online video by very uh, short-term and and direct uh, sort of um, metrics, and that uh, that leads us to optimize against those metrics, which is a, you know you end up in a vicious spiral, and then you end up only creating work that will work in the very short term and you know you end up with with the, the kind of guidelines that you get from today from many um uh you know the the, the big tech platforms correct um uh you know which i'm you know i i've actually been talking to uh to, to a couple of the big ones recently about this and and maybe they'll maybe they'll they sense that it's time to change we'll have to see but um, yeah, so that's 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 definitely part of it. Definitely part of it. And so you end up with you know what I my shorthand for this I suppose would be frontality, instruction, and product. You know that th that you 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 see a lot of well, human, but also product frontality. You know people staring into the camera or um, flat objects or products viewed from above. You know on a countertop. Um, ingredients thrown together in a very abstract way the left brain's interested in making things uh, so you get in advertising but also in, in, in I think in programming on television you get a lot of programs and adverts about making things throwing things together um, today and um, you know this sort of this sort of instruction um, telling you what to think and do and that and that kind of advertising will work for uh, those people already in the target market, for people who are, you know, perhaps looking for a new whatever it is. But it's not going, it's not going to work, you know, for the people who aren't 
you know, and, and I think this is one of the problems with targeting, is that it's led people in their creative to assume that people are interested in what you've got to say. Automatically, Automatically. And already in. Yeah. yeah. And and that's not the case. And of course, that sort of advertising style has then seeped, or I should say, marched into television advertising as well. Um, and uh, that's really not how television works. You know, if you if you if you've got a broad reach audience, then you can't assume that they're necessarily interested in your product. And uh, you know, so you have to create something that's interesting and that might sustain their attention, that might um, that might you know raise your brand's salience in their minds for as a future possibility. You know, when you next come to buy your next car or whatever it is, you know, oh, I remember that one. Yes, I think I'll go and check out the VW garage or whatever it is. So that's that's the, that's the problem, I think. So how do we overcome it? I've got three people I would love to, to, to think about and get your perspective on. Client, the strategist, because we are planners on the podcast, and then the creative. Let's start with the client because there's a fundamental issue, naively, but I think it's a tr- truth as well, which is we all know about the, the acceleration or the, the shorter time life of a CMO. We all know our clients are focused with, particularly in today's world, of immediate impact. How do we help a client start to reframe what, how to define success? Well, one of the one of the interesting things that's happened over the last year is a, a very interesting piece of work by James Herman and Peter Field called the Effectiveness Code. And he, what he's done is he's looked at the Walk database and he's he's Effectiveness database of advertising and he's he's looked at uh, you know various media features of these uh, these campaigns and you know concluded that. Um, campaigns that have higher spend but uh, you know work on more channels and work for longer over a longer time period you know sort of basically are more effective and then he characterizes like, these different different rungs on a ladder if you like these different steps these this different range of of, of, uh, of ads from the least effective through to the most effective and uh, the least effective ads, uh, you know, um, look quite different in terms of their media features, but also their creative features. I think from the ones at the top of the ladder, which are more like the advertising that I tend to describe, which is, you know, involves uh, long-running characters or you know human scenarios that are quite. He describes them as iconic. Mm-hmm. And and so what what I think I I would say is to a CMO or even a, or a CEO is say look well look this this is this is what advertising could be it can be it can go from this uh, type of ad you know over to the on the least effective <laughs> lines which gives you short term impact and perhaps and you know may give you some uh, uplift on some behavioural measures but not really anything lasting or, 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 or long and then you've got you know this sort of advertising over here on the right you know which is at the top of the ladder as, as he positions it mm-hmm. and uh, where do you want to be and I'd say well you know uh, because you know and if I were a CMO I'd be saying to my CEO and CFO well th- I think we should be playing up here on the right that's that's what I'm interested in doing you know for building business growth versus short-term immediate impact yeah so just trying to make it quite straightforward and simple and say look that that's where we need to be and then well how do we do that well we need to create you know a long running asset and you know a, hopefully a character a, a living thing something in, that makes the brand and the product interesting in some way you know it's funny as we've talked about this and as you go through it now we're actually using left brain system two linearity yep. and structure to to validate the power of system one and right brain yeah i know well it's uh, unfortunately that seems to be the business world doesn't it um but it's important isn't it because i think too often we can make the mistake of not really translating our intention into client speak that's right that's right and i think you have you have to have some well you, you have that's one of the things we're trying to do at system one is to demonstrate the the, the relationship between between this kind of emotional work and profit gain you know and and long-term market share growth 
because um, it needs to be drawn, you know. And uh, so that's that's that that's I think the the thing at the client on the client end, you know, you you need to position it internally as saying, well, look, this kind of ad is going and this kind of campaign relative to all the competitors around and that's that's one of the things we do at system wars you know we measure everything in the category is 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 much so much better and and will give us that growth you know in the in the in the longer term um as well and as well as having an indication of short-term prospects too so if we think about the role of building from the client understanding the client's needs and where they think what they think they need to do and how do we help use a lot of this incredible information and this pod and the videos that I'll do all the links for, for Orlando's uh, speaking to ensure that people understand the switch. The role of strategy. In Lemon, you talk about how the brief is broken. Yes, I think I think that not enough time spent on the brief, I suspect, these days, um, mm -hmm. talking to planners, um, that it's, a, it's become the, the interpretation of the client brief and the uh, and the briefing of the creatives. I mean that that um, not probably not enough time is is devoted to that. And I I also think that um, you know there's a there's a, a sort of I I wonder if the if 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 planners are coming under a lot of pressure to you know just sort of let things let things through um, and. Uh, you know, you have to come up with an idea quickly, which is not sensible anyway. It takes time for ideas to kind of, you know, um, compost and 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 work uh, and to to come to to creatives anyway. And then you you're in a position where you have to present some work to a client, and it's uh, it may just be a mood board, mood idea, you know, mood video really. And then the client might say, well, yes, that's what we want. That's exactly right. You know, and that mood video is probably going to look something a bit like the very left brained ad that I've described. Exactly. And exactly. and so so I think there's um there's a there's a lot of pressure on planners and uh, and a lot of pressure on creatives too to to get to an answer quickly, which isn't always the best answer. Um, and, you know, that that we need a bit more time to to let these things through. I think that's absolutely true, certainly in the world that, that we're living in and the plans that I know. I think the other point, coming back to what you were just saying about the client, is I, I do feel as though within agency world, we do not spend enough time ensuring that we're on the same page. Sometimes we use the creative presentation to go, this is why we should be on the same page. Whereas actually spending a bit more prep time of making sure clients and we understand what problem we're really solving. How can we solve it? And therefore, what's the role of the creative? Coming back to what you were talking about earlier. Yes, yes. And I think the best the best work comes through a, a very good relationship, a conversation between the planner and the creative. You know, I mean, the creative, a create, a good creative, I think, will have will be quite a good planner as well to a certain Absolutely. extent. Absolutely. And the plan and the planner's role is to be is to be useful in some way to serve up some interesting things. Uh, to the creative, you know, some some interesting ideas that the creative can work with. So let's talk about that a little bit more because I thought the other part I took away from your, your points in the book about the brief is broken is that briefs, if, okay, the majority of briefs are word documents, structured, boxed, and therefore we're immediately starting to put some 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 left brain constraints in terms of what we're trying to do. Yes. And I think that you know, I mean, the brief, as I think I say in the book, the brief, the brief is an, is is important, of course, but it may it's not the only way to a great idea. <laughs> um, and sometimes you end up with something that is completely, you know, um, remarkable that that perhaps uh, isn't isn't in line with the brief. Um, but that's that's not to say that it's a bad it's a bad idea. And so you know, one of the things that I think is important in um, in in briefing is is conversational briefing, and uh, and and just conversation actually. You know, and there was a time when when people used to go to lunch with their clients and they might have a drink or two, and uh, actually that sort of opens up the right brain in many ways, and and it sort of lets you um, 
in conversation, so, certain, suddenly something will be said, or a an expression, or a wording, or a I call them a burr, a little burr, you know, like the little thing, the, the things that stick mm-hmm. to your clothing, um, um, that that suddenly stick, and that, oh, that's interesting. Why do you say that? You know, and this that the, the role of conversational briefing and interaction between people and gauging their emotional response as you talk. I think all of that's really, really important in, in coming up with a, a great idea. We tend to over-intellectualize things or conceptualize things sometimes. That's, the, that's what the left brain tends to do. I think it was John Webster, the great creative in the UK, who said you know, to his planner, just, just talk to me, talk to me about these, these people, you know, without any of the intellectual stuff. Um, and you know, an hour's conversation that that is the bane of planning. I'll tell you now is is that is treading the line between being not too clever and not too creative, but being useful, as John Steele says. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So when we think about, I, I love what we were talking about earlier, and we're thinking about for helping the creative with the brief, but then also some conversation around the the role of character, incident, and place. Mm. I, I had another couple of questions. When we, th- we talked earlier about the role of emotion, are there emotions that, in your opinion, are being underused today? Well, yes. Anything to do with, with leaving people feeling good, leaving fe- people feeling happy or joyous uh, about what they see. And we've certainly seen a decline in you know, amusement or humour over the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, and, you know, I, th- I think we've also seen I haven't published this yet, but uh, an increase in, you know, sort of lesser forms of happiness, as I would put them in effectiveness terms. So things like pride or being pleased for others or, you know, sort of um, contentment or gratitude, you know, these sorts of things which are less are less likely to to connect actually on a, on a lasting level. You know, amusement and humour. Um, and you know um, the sort of advertising which has gone massively out of uh, favour. You know people getting a corrective comeuppance, which you used to see quite a lot in advertising. Um, you know which is hugely uh, entertaining. Is 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 not done today. You know it's seen to be perhaps slightly unfair or or, or um, you know not caring enough. Um, but you know that but you know that that sort of amusement or um, getting people to feel kind of up, uplifted in some way that's 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 really I think what we, we should be looking for you know it struck me just on, on that and some work that um, system one have re- released recently it feels as though we're a little worried about being funny yeah it, because the world's so blooming serious and dis- splintered and fractious is that true Oh, we, 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 yes, we, we're worried about offending people, I think, is, is part of it. There's uh, also, you know, there is the, with the left brain comes this desire to be, uh, you know, this sort of slightly, slight um, mockery of anything that might be popular. Hmm. Uh, and this, this idea that, you know, and the, this sort of shunning of, of, of popularity. Well, advertising can't work unless it's popular, really. It needs to be popular, needs to be distinctive and memorable. And, you know, it's like advertising, and certainly then the creative awards, they look more and more like the sort of rather abstract Turner Awards, the art awards right. in the UK, you know, yes. which are very conceptual and you know, alarmingly look very much like the, the inner workings of the left brain. I mean, if you look at the Turner Prize for 2019, the various, various one in particular, you know, has lots of abstracted hands everywhere and the all-seeing eye of truth looking over it. Hmm. I mean, it's remarkable. But that's, that's the sort of advertising that we're rewarding and awarding uh, in, in creative awards. And that sort of advertising just doesn't connect with the general public. Um, so you know we've got a we've we've sort of got a bit of a problem on our hands. And it's funny, you know, I I I know that we've all had conversations with clients through the years of um, the work shouldn't need to be um, 
creatively awarded or creative award should not be the sole goal of the work. And this connects back to what I think you were talking earlier about fame, feeling and fluency. Mm. Fame for me is about remarkable, being yeah. stand out and actually talked about, frankly, because th those are the things that we want our, our consumers, our real people mm -hmm. to talk about. Alanda, mm -hmm. can I ask you about, um, I'm fascinated by the notion of the fluent device because mm. again in Lemon you talk through about the role of fluent devices over time and we've kind of lost our way on that a bit. Can you explain a, a fluent device and also what should we do? Yeah, so uh, I, I mean it's a, it's a term I coined really but to mean, um, uh, well it means a, I suppose it means a couple of things. I mean let, let me start with the work of Ehrenberg, the Ehrenberg Bass Institute because they talk about the importance of distinctive assets you know logos, shapes, colours, fonts all those things and how you, it's important to keep them consistent over time which I, I don't disagree with in any way but I think the trick when it comes to advertising is to turn those static assets uh, into something that lives and that means most likely a character or a set of characters um, that are instantly recognisable and that are recurring through your campaign that are repeatedly used. So this might be the, the M&M's characters for instance or the Geico Gecko yep. um, or over here in the UK the, the meerkats you know compare yes. the markets the meerkats and and what what I've what I've shown using the IPA's database again with Peter Field is just the the greater business effects that you get with that kind of advertising over advertising that, that doesn't have those recurring assets. And it's not just characters; it can be sort of you know human scenarios that are that are you know uh, you're not you when you're hungry would be a good example of that for Snickers. Yes. Uh, that are repeated but sort of changed slightly and evolve you know over time. So there's a common enough thread that yes. people recognise, but it isn't. It isn't the same all the time. There's yes, a point yes. of variety that you talked about earlier. Yes, and funnily enough, you know, it overlaps very nicely with the idea of character, incident, and place, because uh, yes. you know, in all of those sorts of ads, you've got human characters doing something, something unusual or perhaps interesting. The incident, um, and and somewhere that's it's relatively easy to relate with. You know, a, a, a real place. So that's what fluent the fluent device is, and and what I found again working with the IPA um, is that over the last well particularly the last 15 years along with all these other right brain features that the character fluent device has disappeared uh, almost disappeared there are very few of these left when they used to be everywhere in advertising um, and you know it's it's just part of this this move towards the left brain you know, uh, a, a type of type of work, and that fluent device. The other thing I should say about, as well as being extremely useful for driving these big effects like market share gain and, uh, uh, and profit gain, is it also helps to reduce your price sensitivity a little bit. You know, there's interesting work in psychology that shows that if you're, uh, you know, if if you're quick to to be uh, recognised, if if you if you recognise something and it feels very familiar. You know, you're more, you're more likely to pay for it, like to pay more for it, I should say, than than other things. Uh, it's a really fascinating example of this, where they showed um, they gave people uh, regular dollar bills, and they gave other another set of people dollar bills which had been doctored slightly. So they just looked slight, they were just slightly not quite right, you know, but not so much so that you would you you might question them totally. And they said, how many? everyday objects how many paper clips can you buy with this dollar bill you know and the people with the regular dollar bill thought they could buy you know twice as many paper clips as they could the people with the the slightly unfamiliar dollar bill so th th we saw this in in our work that you know that the, the fluent device campaigns were more likely to register reductions in price sensitivity which is an important part of profit gain of course absolutely and has comes back to that that business impact that we've, yeah. we've been talking about. yeah so Having sat through more ads than probably anyone else on this planet, what are your favourite three? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that I could claim that, but I—I I, I mean, look, I, it's so difficult, isn't it? It's like it'd be like choosing between children, wouldn't it? But um, look, there are loads of um, wonderful ads uh, from the past and some from the present. There's one I talk about in the book, um, which is 
the Heineken's Water in Mallorca ad, which has so <laughs> many of the right brain features that I talk about by um, Adrian Holmes, who also did the front cover of Lemon, I should say, um, uh, who I was very pleased uh, to, to be able to work with on, on that. Um, I'm very grateful to him. Um, I think I'd have to pick one by John Webster um, and... Uh, probably why not the smash martians i knew you were going to say the smash martians all links for those poor americans that didn't grow up watching the martians <laughs> for mash get smash for smash exactly for mash get smash and just because i think you know they they are they're just wonderfully silly and and entertaining and uh you know there's they're they live in a whole different brand world and they're they're just um, very funny, and you know, I mean, I, I, what would my third be? Well, I mean, there, there's, there's a lovely series of ads again. I mean, this is all UK stuff, um, but but for the Yellow Pages in the 1980s, which are rather lovely by Abermead Vickers, yeah, and they have a kind of warmth. I mention them because they have a kind of warmth, and even then they they felt nostalgic, I think, but they, you know, they have a sort of warmth that is seems to be totally absent from today's advertising and a humanity about them a bit like and this was the other one i was toying with mm. mentioning which is a u.s ad hal Riney's morning in america which is a topical one as we record this today yes it is um, but the the reagan campaign 1984 which also has that sense of warmth and confidence and also a sense of permanence that I think is so important in advertising. I mean, at the moment, you know, with all the changes in the digital world over the last 15, 20 years, a lot of things have changed with globalization, the way we, the way we work, you know, uh, our, probably our, our disconnection with where we grew up. All, all of these things have a slightly bamboozling and disorientating effect on us. And this translates into a kind of um, world and a kind of advertising that is kind of a bit odd. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's like the features that you see in a... Uh, and I use I use this term very advisedly and, and knowingly in a, in a sort of schizophrenic patient because, mm -hmm. you, you know, you sort of get this unworlding of the world or this distancing or seeing things from multiple perspectives, which is... Um, and I, I mean that in the sense that you know you you probably got multiple identities. You know there's a, there's a, something strange um, and disorientating about the modern world. And you know you what we're all crying out for, I think, is a sense of permanence, a sense of confidence, um, and a, a, a sense of human warmth and connection, which uh, seems to have broken down. Very very true. So is anybody doing a great job today? Fantastic examples of the past. Well, um, I've I, I, I mentioned a few. You know, I mean, the the, 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 the Mars stable seems is very good, I think. And um, from what I understand, you know, uh, creatives tripping over themselves to try and work on that on that account, um, on those accounts. So the Snickers, the um, the the M and M's the um, I mean in this country the Maltesers as well um, I think some of the Skittles work too so so that very very good really um, in the UK that we've seen you know the, the the long running success of things like compare them compare the markets Meerkats and again a whole brand world um, yeah. there are companies like Yorkshire Tea um, doing things that are quite funny and interesting Warburton's as well in the UK using characters and Jonathan Warburton the founder in in those um, in those ads uh, with special sort of celebrity uh, guests um, those are the sorts of things that connect very well with the public that are you know and they all have that character incidents in place right well they do they do uh, they do and you know it, it's it keeps coming back to that really and and those are, you know those three questions I mentioned earlier the, you know who's involved what happens and where is it set they're three questions that we use all the time to try and help us understand what's going on in the world to help us connect they're the, be the bedrock of empathy really and that's uh, you know something we we mustn't lose sight of
Excellent. So all links will be uh, with, uh, attached to this podcast because Lemon is a fantastic read uh, and I've learned so much. And again, learned from today as well. I was loving it. Quit. What's next for you? Well, I'm, uh, I have just recently recorded a, a short film on the work for uh, that I've been doing with Peter Field and, and Facebook and others on uh, the features of attention that sustain features of advertising that sustain attention, and uh, that's called Achtung. And I'm looking to write that up, and I'm looking to um, well, perhaps another book. Um, so we'll have to uh, have to see how that goes. But it's you know looking at, at um, really the, the, how you do it, um, drawing on the work of great entertainers, animators. Mm-hmm beyond advertising you know how do we how do we make this uh, come to life in the hope that we can you know i suppose inspire uh, a, a different kind of attention to be brought to bear on the world fantastic Orlando. one final question when when you think about the journey you've been through with lemon what surprised you the most well um what surprised me the most well i suppose it would be I suppose it'd be its reception, really, you know, because it, it it does seem to have articulated something that I think people instinctively feel and know, but that they haven't, but you know, but they haven't been able to sort of put their finger on it. Do you know what I mean? I, absolutely, and and I'll be honest. Okay, I've used Lemon and and other work from from you that you've published on finding a connective thread to, as we talked about earlier. Funny enough. How do we use system two, the rational linear thought process and, and, and clarity to really reinforce how we feel about the work? Yeah. How can we feel about the work to, in, to create better work? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what um, I like in some way to think of myself as doing. I'm the corpus callosum that links the left and the right brains that tries to act as a sort of translator to... Um, to show you know to show that the importance of human creative work with depth and metaphor the importance of that for business results and to try and translate it into that into that language fantastic that has to go on your next system one business card by the way <laughs> no more chief innovation officer. <laughs> orlando wood corpus callosum <laughs> Orlando, I have, as ever, loved uh, speaking with you, listening and, and learning some more. Thank you very much for your time today. Absolute pleasure, John. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Enjoy the lockdown. Focus and um, I'll hopefully catch up with you again soon. Thanks so much. Planner Parlay, a Truth Collective production.